It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 135. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. Good afternoon, Gary. Same to you, yeah. How's life in Denver? It's good. Uh, crazy weather here. Crazy? And, um, in what way? Well, it's been cold the last few days. Like Memorial Day weekend was cold and rainy. Oh, that sounds like it should have been Seattle. Seattle I, had your weather I, then because we were like in the sunny and 70s and actually yep. we're hitting the mid 80s today. So, yeah. So we're really sucking. We're, we're enjoying it. It's great because we've had a, a long, I don't want to say cold spring, but it's definitely yeah. been, you know, dark and damp, which is, you know, traditional Seattle kind of stuff. So this is the wettest spring I've ever remembered here in Colorado. It is June 1st. We're recording this and I have not yet turned the sprinkler system on for the lawn. Oh. I've never gotten to June without turning oh. the sprinkler system on. Yep. No, ours, ours has been, uh, we don't use it for the lawn. We use it, for, we use it strategically for parts of the garden that Kathy mm. uh, takes care of, but yeah, that got turned on a couple of weeks ago. So mm. anyway, so we've got a topic today, yeah. um, which I think is a really interesting one. It's fairly controversial Yes. Um, that especially when a lot of people who think one way come to realize that what they think might not be the case. Now I run into this all the time uh-huh. with, pe- with people who, uh, um, you know, expect certain rights when they download, install, purchase software, and it just don't quite work that way. You want to go ahead and, and yeah. tell, us what, tell us what you had in mind? Well, you know, I hear this all the time, especially when it comes to streaming music, but also software and other things. And typically, you know, I, I love streaming music. I, I a huge music fan in the past. I've owned a huge vinyl collection, which I no longer have. And, uh, I've bought music, all sorts of different ways, CD and all that. And right now I just love streaming. I can enjoy all sorts of music, try things out and all that. So I usually mention that to people and there are music lovers like myself who feel very differently about it. And usually what I'll say is something like, well, I love streaming music and I do Apple music, but Spotify is great too. And all of that. And they'll say, well, I like to own my music to which I respond. Oh, but you don't (laughs) not at all. Oh no, I do. I actually not. I have them on vinyl. So yeah, I own vinyl. I'm like, you don't own the music. For example, if you owned it, if that belonged to you, Try broadcasting it. (laughs) Try broadcasting it online. Try broadcasting it on the radio. Try broadcasting it in a store or just on a speaker on your street. That's illegal. Why would it be illegal if it was yours and you owned it? Because you don't actually own the music. And of course you don't. I mean, if I'm listening to a Beatles song, believe me, I don't own that. The copyright owners own that music, right? I'm not even sure who that is for the Beatles these days. It went through change of hands a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, be Michael Jackson's for a while, but I'm not sure it's his anymore. Yeah, well, he owned the the. There's different types of rights, so it even yes. gets more complex because, of course, yeah. So there's the rights to the recording, there's the rights to the 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 song itself, and all that. But the thing is, is that you don't really own. You own a copy of the music, and it's basically a license. And your license includes certain rights, like, for instance, to listen to it as much as you want on your own. And the same is true when people are referring to, say, buying something like buying from iTunes or Amazon or any number of services where you could spend one amount of money, like $10, you get an album, and you can listen to that as much as you want and keep that music on your computer. 
regardless of any subscriptions or anything else you've got. Right. And that's thought of as owning the music, but it's not. You're, you've licensed it. You have an unlimited license to listen to it as much as you like. And you have certain privileges like playing it in your home, for instance, for you and your family and friends. But then things start to get gray. And then there's a big line when you start to think about you know, broadcasting that. So you don't own that. And the same thing is kind of true when it comes to software, right? People would say, oh, I hate software subscriptions. And we had an episode about this recently. Yeah, I hate software subscriptions. Uh, I'd rather own my software. But of course, you don't own the software. That software is owned by the copyright holder, the company that produced the software. There's probably actually patents as well as copyrights mm-hmm. when it comes to software. And you have bought a license, and the license grants you the rights to do certain things like run it on one computer or five computers or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't make copies of it, and that's the same with music. You can't copy and resell that, which you think if you owned something, you could. So, you know, another indicator that you don't actually own the music that you think you own. And um, software is the same way. You can't make copies and resell them or even give them away for free. You don't own it, you have a license. Um, and there's tons of other examples, uh, certainly when it comes to books. I was going to say, I think the, the, the one that, that I think a lot of people are the most familiar with, or at least mm-hmm. it's easiest to understand, is the concept of owning a book. Yeah. Um, you, of course, when you own a book, you're limited in what you can do. You can't republish the book or resell the book under your own name. You can't buy a book, make, a, you know, make 10 copies of it, and then sell 10 copies of that yeah. book, no matter how you got the book. Mm-hmm. Um, there used to be back in the day, we had special rules for how much you could actually photocopy from a book when you were in school to use for whatever research you were doing. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is you had this physical, tangible thing in your hand. And the thing that came up the most is A, you could loan it to other people, but B, you could give it to other people. Um, and especially when somebody passed away, it was considered a possession that 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 the um, the, the inheritors uh, would get, right? Someone would inherit the library of physical books from someone who passed away. Now that we're all going digital, we you know Kathy and I, we've got like a couple of thousand books in our Kindle libraries. They're licensed to us and nobody but us. Uh, if we die, if this account goes away our ability to access those books goes away. The only way to treat it like a physical book is to actually purchase a physical book, which kind of defeats the purpose of having it all so conveniently digital. But what we're purchasing when we purchase a book isn't the book itself, but a license to allow us to read it on our devices for as long as we hold our Amazon account. It gets worse because unless you break the law, which I'll get to in a minute, um, you must have an Amazon account in good standing in order to be able to access this library of books that you have licensed from them. If for any reason you lose your Amazon account, if for any reason you, you know, they close it on you or you get hacked or something like that, then all of a sudden you lose access to your entire library of books. Now, what some have done uh, with the intent of Uh, I'll just call it the intent of the law rather than the letter of the law is that there are digital rights management cracking tools that will allow you to take one of your Amazon books, 
remove the DRM from it and make it readable without an Amazon account, which then implies that even if you did lose your Amazon account, you would still have the possession of the book. Technically, it would be illegal because it violates the license that you agreed to when you purchased the book, but you'd still have it, <laughs> right? Yeah. You could still read it. Um, but like I said, that's where the intent of the law, you know, it's, it's, it may be moral if illegal to make a copy of the book. Although that's something that's up for debate as well. But yeah, yeah there's it a gets lot of really complicated, really quick. And people don't quite understand what it is. They really aren't buying when they buy a book at Amazon. <laughs> exactly. Cause there's all, there's all sorts of laws that kind of they're in that gray area. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, uh, movies is another thing with, you know, uh, you know, you, Oh, I own that movie on DVD. No, you don't. You have a copy of that movie on DVD that you're licensed to be able to do certain things with and movies and music and software, you know, people um, like to make copies of it to make things more convenient for them. For instance, when CDs first, you know, people first had computer MP3, software. They would take CDs and they would rip them to their computer so they could play them from their computer without having to physically insert the CD into the drive. And the same is kind of true of movies, but it's harder to do. It was very common, still is very common to do with CDs. And there is some law around the whole idea of you've got the right to do that. You have the license, the CD is in your possession, and you've simply now you're playing it another way. And mm -hmm. It's it all falls in also into the right to back up. You know, when you have software, right. you purchase software. Do you have a right to make a copy of that software for backup purposes? And that's been talked about in law a lot. Um, and people have also applied that to music, to movies, people ripping movies to a server. So they did buy the DVD. They do have the DVD. They're just watching it, and they don't happen to be watching it from the DVD at that moment. It's coming. And, and yet, it's, I think it's even more complicated than that because CDs, by definition, aren't encrypted. Right? Yes. That made ripping them very, very easy. It's a conversion process rather yes. than some kind of a decryption process. Mm -hmm. DVDs, and now especially Blu-rays, are, uh, are encrypted. Mm -hmm. And while making a copy for backup purposes may be legal, decrypting the data yeah. is not. Mm -hmm which means you can't necessarily copy it to uh, you know, a random uh, home server, for example, to watch your videos uh, right. you know, from something other than the DVD because the home server needs the decrypted copy. Yes. Uh, there's, and it's not, you know, it's not all just technology. If you go to books, the printed books, um, you know, there's this whole thing with the used books. You could buy used books. Mm -hmm. So the interesting thing about used books, it's all fine and good as long as you're the reader. As soon as you become an author, <laughs> you notice <laughs> something interesting about used books is that somebody else has bought your book that and you didn't make a penny off of them. You know, you write something, whether it's a novel or in my case, an instructional book, you know, computer book, sure. um, somebody buys it and, you know, the store makes half, half that money, then most of the other half goes to the publisher. And then a tiny portion of that is royalties goes to you. Then if that person decides they want to get rid of that book and they give it away or it ends up at a used bookstore somehow, and somebody else buys that used book, that sale, none of it goes to the publisher or the author at all. So you end up with the sale that the actual creator of the work 
isn't getting compensated for at all. And but the question is, right, yeah. should they be, right? Should they be, I right. Mean, there, there's a copy. They got paid yeah. for that one copy. Why should they get paid twice for the yeah. same copy, right? And it's, it's it gets weird when you go digital, but in the physical realm, yeah. Um, you know, that I think is the argument uh, against secondhand books having to, you know, push back money right. to the original publisher or author. And I don't think anybody's doubting that, you know, news books are a valid thing. I found it interesting when I would get a question because I would have these books that people would actually come to me for, you know, with questions. Mm -hmm. That doesn't typically happen when you write a novel. I mean, I suppose you could write the author <laughs> of a mystery book and said, how could it be the butler? The butler wasn't, you know, whatever. But with a computer book, I, you know, while I was writing those, it was a fairly normal part of my day to actually field questions from people. And when somebody goes out and buys the book and I get my $2 or whatever from that sale and somebody asks me a question, it's like, okay, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll help you out. You know, I'm not totally out of the, the, the monetary exchange here. I did make some money off of that sale. But when somebody buys a used copy of the book and then comes, goes and asks me a question, then it's kind of interesting because then it's like free help. Now I give free help all the time. So right. it's not that huge of a deal, but for some authors, you know, it could be, you know, it's a little more of a gray area. Certainly I recognize the fact that, you know, if I had bought a used computer book of some sort, which I don't know if I ever have, um, if I had, and if I had a question, I would think twice about asking for help because knowing that I had bought it used, I was never in that situation, but I Computer always thought books are well, kind of in a, in a weird space anyway, just because things change so rapidly that a book, something you yeah. committed to a piece of paper, especially, um, you know, it, it just, it goes out of, oh, yeah. of usefulness fairly quickly, uh, in other realms, the other scenario that again, as an author, it's never happened to me. I don't think, but I could be wrong. Uh, when you have a book that is no longer being published and you find it on the secondhand market for more than the original purchase price, sometimes significantly more than the original purchase price. Mm. And you realize that as the author or publisher, you're not getting a piece of that either, right? There's this yeah. book you created that is now somebody has decided is incredibly valuable. Um, and yeah, well, that's, that's, that's the life. That's life. Yeah. So there's just tons of examples of this kind of thing. And in, in preparing for this episode, <laughs> this topic, I wanted to come up with an example of something that you did own. And then I found uh, an interesting thing happened. I couldn't come up with a good example because I started to think of, well, okay, what's basic? What's the most basic thing you can own? And for some reason, it occurred to me, okay, how about land, property? No, you don't really own that either because you know, I own a house. Well, that house sits on a piece of land that is part of the city of Denver, which is part of the state of Colorado, which is part of the country of the United States. There are laws and rules uh, from zoning to all sorts of things that determine what I can and can't do with my land, even down to the point of how I can and can't sell it. Um, so, you know, if I truly owned it, I could do anything I wanted with it, but I definitely cannot. I mean, I can't even like not shovel for 24 hours if it snows, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, so it's like, wow, I, I thought there was a good example of something you do own. And it turns out that's a horrible example. That's even worse. I mean, nobody has like, uh, you know, music. They didn't buy like a, a CD 
with music on it and then are like forced to do something. And then you come with times. responsibilities. Yes. Yeah, that's your responsibility. <laughs> now that you own that CD, you have to, you know, every once in a while. Um, but, uh, you know, so there's that. So, okay. So then I thought, well, uh, what else? Food. Okay. You buy some food, you go to the store and my, and the first thing that sprung to mind was you buy some corn. You go to the store, you buy some corn. It's, you know, it's the time, the season here in the United States, buy corn for barbecues, which I did this weekend. And I bought some corn. So I own that corn, right? Well, wait a minute. Oh, corn's a really bad example because there's, there are companies that own the patents on the seeds for corn because the corn wheat today is genetically modified to, you know, be nutritious and easy to grow and produce and everything. And that corn has uh, certain patents and things that apply to companies. So yeah, I own this corn. I could do what I want, need it and all that. But if I decided to somehow take the, gen the genes from that corn, maybe as simple as just planting a seed from it, uh, cultivate it, in other words, technically I'm in violation of this implied license I have. I, I, if I took that corn and grew a field of it, somebody could actually sue me for doing so because I don't own the rights to the genetics of that corn. If I wanted to do it, the proper thing to do is to actually purchase that seed. So even food is not completely owned when you buy it. And then I thought, how about water? How much simpler can you get than water? And instantly I thought, no, that doesn't work either. And this actually is a true story. Years and years ago, you know, in Denver here, we were talking about how much it rains. Usually it doesn't rain as much. And you end up with periods of like two, three weeks where you don't get rain during the summer, which means you have a garden, you got to water your garden. And it seemed like such a waste that I would have, we'd have a thunderstorm, it would flood the backyard one day. And then three days later, I have to water the backyard because it's been dry. I thought I should install a barrel at the end of the downspout for a gutter, collect the rainwater and take that rainwater and use that to water the garden. And I did that and it worked great. I barely had to use the hose to water my garden for like the whole summer because of this barrel that I installed. And then somebody pointed out to me, said, that's a good idea. You know, it's illegal though, right? <laughs> I was like, illegal? How is that illegal? It's like, well, there's this whole thing called water rights and it varies from state to state and region to region. And there's all sorts of weird rules. And the area that we're in, in particular has rules that basically that rainwater is owned by this entity that distributes water throughout the, you know, this multi-state area that feeds into various rivers and things. And you have the right to have your water, water your garden as it falls, but you cannot capture it and store it for the future. That's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. And actually the funny thing is since then, other people have gone up in arms about this and the laws have their uh, new laws come into effect that actually gives you limited rights. And what I was doing is now perfectly legal. You can actually install a rain barrel of a certain size and capture a certain amount of water. From oh, but your, you would not, for example, be allowed to capture enough to supplant your, your potable water supply. Yeah. So it's, wow. it's, so the rules are a little bit more lax now, but there's still rules. So right. even the rain falling from the sky and hitting the ground in my backyard or the roof of my house, I don't own that. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting um, trying to come up with an example of something you completely own and everywhere I looked. So something, something that I was thinking of, shoot a hole in this one. 
Okay. The shirt off your back. The shirt off. Well, does it? Have, is it a t-shirt? Does it have a logo on it? Does it? Just a plain, plain old shirt. Plain old. No logos, because obviously logos are licensed. Get yeah. that. Um, yeah. Mm. You might own that. You might own it. You I mean, pretty much do whatever you want with it. Is there a design copyright? Could I duplicate it? Um, let's say it's design? a plain old white T-shirt. Yeah. Then it would be hard to argue any kind of design copyright on yeah. that. There might be some local rules about recycling. You can't just yeah. throw it away. Yeah. You know, you might so the real question here, I think that yeah. that you're you're leading into though is, what does it mean to own something? Yeah. Uh, because a lot of what you're arguing is that you can own something, so to speak, own it in quotes, but you're not owning it free and clear, right? There, there. Yeah. No matter what it is you possess. There are rules or restrictions or limitations or responsibilities that come yes. along with that possession that somehow impinge on what we might consider to be true and complete ownership. Right. And I should, well, I should point out that it's definitely the type of thing that could drive you crazy. <laughs> thinking about and and that you shouldn't <laughs> you shouldn't let it drive you crazy i mean the main thing is, is that most objects most products i should say uh the type of ownership you do get is appropriate for that for that thing right. if you buy if you buy some music on itunes for instance you're most likely buying it because you want to listen to the music and it allows you to do exactly that and as long as you don't try to go outside the bounds and say, well, now I'm I have a retail store. I'm going to play that music I purchased in the retail store. You know, so sometimes there are areas that kind of infringe a little bit. You, oh, we I thought I had the right to do that, but I don't. We actually but, had that issue with the doll shop years ago yep. was, you know, what do we do for music in the store? Mm -hmm. And what we elected to do was rather than play our own music, we just turned on a radio station because yeah, that, that way it was already appropriately licensed for general broadcast. As long as you allow the commercials on the radio station to play yes. as well. Yep. We had a the same kind of thing when we owned a used bookstore, <laughs> which explains why I know so much about used books. <laughs> uh, the uh, we had, you know, what are we going to do about music? And the one we didn't want to play the commercials on the radio. Mm -hmm. So the one thing you can do is you could contact ASCAP BMI yes. and get a license, and they actually will. You don't they you don't know how much it's going to cost until you ask. They will actually assess it and figure out a price. From what I've heard, it's pretty much too expensive for a store like ours. Right. If you've got a lot of traffic coming in, it's like a restaurant or bar or something like that where it's important to have music playing, then it makes sense. But there was an alternative. I don't know if it's still around, but uh, you could get a uh, you could get satellite radio, and at the time, Sirius and XM were two separate uh, entities. Now they're combined. Uh, they actually had a com commercial license you could get so we got serious or it was actually xm radio mm -hmm. the retail store version of that which was about twice the price of what it would cost to just get it on your own right um and that gave us the right to play one of their stations mm -hmm. so we still didn't have the right to go and like put whatever music on we wanted to we could just play one of the hundreds of xm music stations in the store and of course there were plenty that were appropriate sure. and they were more com more commercial free then than they are now. They are completely commercial free. Don't get me wrong. Just that now they really add a lot of uh, talking content between the songs. Uh, 
you know, if you listen to, because uh, we just bought a new car, so we've got the free 90 day trial. And so I'm like, well, I might as well listen to the Beatles station while I have it. Yep. <laughs> and it's great because between every song, you get a lot of talking, oh, about the song and Beatles trivia and all that stuff. But back then, you could put on like a station that was, you know, whatever, and it would just be songs, one song after the other. Um, so you could put on like vocal jazz, for instance, which would be a nice fit for a bookstore. And, you know, you get Sinatra and stuff like that. And it would just be song after song. But anyway, the um, it, it is it is interesting to think about, but don't let it, there, you know, well, I try not to let it get involved, get too involved with. A much higher philosophical uh, uh, approach to all this yeah. um, is that we can't own anything mm. uh, at best. We're borrowing it at, you know, we're, we're often just renting it yeah. because we're not going to be around forever. Right. The, you know, I quote unquote own this property, but in reality, you know, you could just say that um, I've paid a certain amount of money so as to be able to live here for some segment of my life. And uh, when that goes away, well, when I go away, then it becomes somebody else's. You know, they they become the person or, or family to be able to, quote unquote, rent um, or buy, you know rent by owning. I guess um, the the place that we're living in. So, uh, you know, we could get really really metaphysical about ownership and go down that path, but uh, the bottom line is that more pragmatically, to bring it all the way back to software which yes. is where you and I keep hearing about this all the time. I really do mean all the time. I literally had a, had someone complaining about it this morning in one of our, uh, you know, one of the comments, I think on the website that, um, you know, I've purchased Microsoft windows. I should be able to do with it what I want. You know, mm. in this case, I own it. I should be able to turn off automatic updates, period. It just, I, I because I own it, it should do what I want. That's not how it works. A, you don't own it, <laughs> right? You're simply licensing it. Uh, and even if you did, quote unquote, own it, you purchased the feature set that it comes with. You don't buy a toaster and then complain that it's not a mixer, right? Mm. You, you, you don't buy a toaster and complain that, you know, it won't toast pizzas that are bigger than the toaster is, that kind of stuff. You know, there, there are certain things that come with what it is you quote unquote buy even beyond the license. So ownership, no matter what your definition of it, doesn't necessarily imply that you have the total right to do anything and or everything and or have it behave the way that you and perhaps only you want it to behave. Yep. And I, it's one of the reasons that I was so easily able to switch from quote owning unquote music to, you know, a subscription service Sure, was because I, I, I really didn't, you know, I, I understood all this very well. And I was like, well, I don't own the music now. So with streaming services, yeah, I'm I'm just looking at it as a cost analysis kind of thing. Right. I was definitely spending way more than say $120 a year on music. Right. And so $10 a month for streaming 
to uh, all to me, the music. Huge deal. Yeah. <laughs> and and I love like and we were talking about this just before we went uh started recording about how we both have very eclectic tastes, meaning we enjoy a wide variety of different types of music. I certainly do. You could if you visited my, me in my office, one day you might hear me listening to classical, another day hip hop, another day classic rock, and you know, et cetera. Just yes, I, I will admit that this part of the conversation started because I had to turn off the K-pop that was playing in yeah, the background. But exactly. It's just like you. There are days where you could walk into my office and I'll be listening to Gregorian chants. <laughs> yeah. Um, my favorite music of all time is a piece of organ music, church organ. Mm -hmm. um, I listen to a tremendous amount of you know classic rock current rock, even some, a little bit of rap. Um, but yes, very eclectic. And that's right. very cool. There's no way that I would purchase like the K-pop that I was listening to today or purchase like a couple of hours worth of it to have play in the background. Whereas now with the, in this case, Spotify, um, I've got the ability to listen to that or listen to whatever the heck I want to. We ran into a, a couple of situations where uh, a piece of music would get mentioned and just out of interest, it was like, you know, tap, tap, tap on the phone. And all of a sudden, within like less than 30 seconds, that piece of music was now playing in our house. Uh, it's it's actually pretty cool to be able to do that. Yep, I, I agree. And I've, I, I really, I got rid of my vinyl. I sold it all. Yeah, we got rid of the vinyl a long time ago. I still have a, a, a big container of CDs downstairs now. Yeah, I, 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 I think what I did with my CDs, I determined that it wasn't worth getting rid of, um, and I condensed it. I took all the jewel boxes away hmm. and put it into a book that you know holds CDs. Mm -hmm. So I have technically the licenses for those for those pieces of music, just in case I have them taking up the minimal amount of space. Right. Um, but it wouldn't really bother me too much if I misplaced that now because I've been doing streaming music. Because before so Apple long. Music, which has yeah. been around for a while now, I was on Spotify for years. And um, it, it's just uh, it's, it's just great. I, I would, it's so much music I've discovered because of uh, streaming, because yes. I, you know I didn't have to go to the store and commit to, okay, I'm going to buy a new CD today or a couple new CDs, which ones will I get? I, I don't have to commit to that at all. I could just on a whim, just right. put that artist on and say, well, let me hear it. And maybe three songs in, I'm like, nope. <laughs> or maybe I listen to that album and then the entire catalog and then listen over and over again and then add it to some of my, you know, playlists and things like that. Right. Uh, it's, it's great. And then, you know, software is is kind of in the same thing. I don't want to talk too much about software because we had a whole episode dedicated to the software subscription thing. Um, it's but, but it's, you know. it's closer. The, the, the area where I really, I'm still uncomfortable with the digital sales model is uh, books, the Kindle book scenario that, yeah. I just, that I mentioned earlier. Just because when you subscribe to a streaming service, it's ephemeral. It's ephemeral. You're listening yeah. to what you listen to, and there's no implication of ownership of any particular piece of music. Um, in fact, I'm not even sure you can quote unquote purchase um, a single or an album through services like Spotify. I don't know if you can still do that on, on Apple music or not. Uh, you certainly can with Amazon music, right? You have the op the option of using Amazon unlimited as a streaming service, or you can go in and you can buy individual albums with books. It's different. For some reason, it's just fundamentally different. Um, mm. Yes, 
Amazon has Kindle Unlimited, which is essentially a streaming service for books, right? You get to mm -hmm. read as many books as you want for a certain amount of money a month. Um, and yet this concept of purchasing a book somehow, you know, and having it in your library uh, seems somehow more important. Um, I do go back to books that I've purchased years ago. Uh, and and read them again or refer to them, especially in the non in the uh, nonfiction arena, you definitely have quote unquote reference books that you return to on a frequent frequent basis. And it's just different. And I'm, I'm, I have a hard time putting a putting a uh, um, uh, a real tangible reason other than uh, the risk of loss, right? The risk of, you know, if my Amazon, my, my Amazon account has become so incredibly important for me for so many different reasons, this being one of them, if something ever happened to my Amazon account, if I were to lose access to all of that stuff, losing access to a couple thousand books would be painful. Granted, most of those 2000 books probably not going to bother us, right? It's not like these were reread material, but there's going to be a significant number of those books that just like paper books, we would never have given to a secondhand store. We would never have given away. They would be with us till, the, till we die. That same kind of thing kind of sort of happens in this realm, or at least feels like it. Anyway, I guess I just haven't made the, um, uh, the, the, the cognitive leap yet that really makes me totally comfortable with the ephemeral nature of of purchasing digital digital goods like that, yeah, for me, books are interesting too because so I, I don't do Kindle, I do Audible. Mm -hmm. So and I've been doing that for I looked and it's ten years now I've been doing it. Wow. Um, and I have quite the library of books. I'm sure you do. But you know, so books and music are like at opposite ends of the media spectrums. Where music, if it's good, you're probably going to listen to it over and over again, sometimes consecutively. Um, you know, an album, just right. listen to an album a couple of times in a row. Um, and then several times during that week and maybe make it, put it in continual rotation. The, the books I, you know, typically, even if the book is amazing and I love it, typically I read it once <laughs> and it's much more of a time commitment to read it once than listening to an album once, usually mm -hmm. 15 times, you know, 15 mm -hmm. hours, probably about average for the books I read. So, you know, one album is 45 minutes and then it's 15 hours to read the book. Uh, so it's much more of a commitment. Um, and rarely will I reread a book. And if I do, it's years later. Right. So it feels different. Movies are kind of in the middle of that mm -hmm. because it's definitely more of a time commitment than an album, but, and there's more likelihood that you want to watch it again. If it's really good, sooner like maybe within a year or even within a week in some cases um movies have but a, it's right uh, yeah but it's it's so it's kind of it's kind of in the middle so movies are you know if you look at music you know it's people that have moved to streaming services probably aren't buying albums so if you could stream the album why right. buy it right now exactly. you know exactly. you could say oh if in the future i decide to not do streaming anymore this might be one of the apps i purchase after afterwards but right now there's no point movies kind of are in the middle because uh, sometimes you would rent a movie when it just comes out. Sometimes you buy it. So you have it to watch as many times as you want. Sometimes you'd stream it, but you have to wait a little bit for the streaming version to come out. Um, it's kind of this middle area. And then books, there isn't really like a streaming, you know, there's that Kindle unlimited that you're talking about audible. I don't think there is an unlimited thing, right. but it's this weird, like I pay for the platinum plan, which is two book credits a month. 
Mm-hmm. So my book credits accumulate and then I spend them on books and then they add to my library and it feels almost functionally equivalent to a subscription, but it's not because I have to think about what books I'm purchasing. Now I do right. accumulate the credits. So every once in a while I'll say, oh, what the hell? I don't know if I'm going to like this book, but I'll throw a credit at it. Mm-hmm. And then sure enough, after two chapters, I'm like, nope. And I will say, well, that was a wasted credit. Once I did actually return a book, because you can do that, mm-hmm. um, you get your credit back. I, I don't know. I, I have the feeling that eventually the, there'll be enough pressure on, say, Audible to have a subscription version of Audible. The uh, And the, the other thing party. about, about um, Audible, it's much like the Kindle in that um, you can choose to re-listen to the books that you purchased yes. 10 years ago. So the books that we purchased on Kindle 10 years ago or whenever it was we started with Kindle, uh, absolutely, they're still there. They're still part of our library until you know we, we lose the account. I um, think... It's the other thing I was going to mention is that movies have another complication uh, when it comes to ownership. Mm-hmm. And that is that the, the media is still in flux by that. I mean, for example, I own a boxed set of the Lord of the Rings in DVD, but DVD isn't 4k. Yeah. Right. And 4k wouldn't be 8k. Right. Yeah. So it's in fact, um, we mentioned it here on this uh, podcast a long time ago that my favorite movie of all time is 2001 A Space Odyssey. And I own a DVD. I, I own a DVD of that. I own a 4K of that, but I don't have a 4K player. Uh, K, of all people, sent me a laser disc of 2001 A Space Odyssey, which there was never a chance in hell I was going to be able to play that because laser disc players are long, long gone. But it just shows you that the state of the art in video reproduction uh, is still in that state where who knows what the quality is going to be like in another two, three, four years. Whereas things like the written word, yeah, you know, they may use different formats, different compressions, different whatevers, but the bottom line is the words are the words. Uh, And you don't necessarily have to repurchase a book 10 years from now because the words changed, right? The quality, right. The, the the granularity or the resolution of the words hasn't changed. Uh, music is, I think, a, a significantly more stable than that. I think we're actually, we've reached uh, a situation where the music that you purchase is audibly sufficient. In fact, it's audibly oversufficient. Oh, sure. Most yeah. The people, new lossless I, stuff is just, uh, yeah. So there's just, there, there is nowhere else to go other than maybe make the file smaller, but there's no point because discs and speeds are getting thick, bigger and faster. So audible, I think is probably pl- plateaued, but video still is in that weird, that weird state. Now I will say that when it comes to reading, you mentioned that, you know, you don't necessarily read a book for and reread a book, except sometimes it'll be like, you know, a decade or two later. Absolutely have found myself in that situation. Uh, but that is what ended up forcing a Kindle purchase, right? We, I think we talked, again, several episodes ago about uh, um, Asimov's robot series. Mm. And I ended up rereading the original uh, robot series from way back when. I read them 40, 50 years ago as paperback. It was part of my introduction to science fiction. It was awesome. Uh, but now that I wanted to reread them, 
I, I don't do paper books anymore. I'm not even sure I have that paper book anymore. So yes, it was another uh, Kindle purchase and it now sits in my Kindle library until something happens to that. Well, another thing that's changed since we were young in terms of all this media is its availability too. Yeah. Um, when you used to buy books, and you got a book that you know it wasn't it wasn't Harry Potter. It wasn't like the New York Times bestseller for fifty straight weeks or whatever. It was just some interesting book that you found. Oh, look at this! This is interesting. Mm -hmm. And you would get it and you'd read it, and then you put it on your bookshelf in case you wanted to reread it again because it wasn't. It, it, you couldn't be sure that you would ever find that book again. Same mm -hmm. thing with albums, with music albums. It, you know, very possible that if, you know, it might be a rare album you might not find. And also even with, you know, when you could buy movies on VHS or DVD right. uh, and that has kind of gone away. Um, if you could find it on Kindle now, if you could find it on Audible, if you can get a, you could find it on a streaming service, it, it's probably going to be around. Like you don't need to be the keeper of this valuable piece of media right. that nobody else right. will have in 20 years. Um, you could probably find it again. And I, I have got to try to, you know, get rid of a lot of stuff. And in the past, there have been books that I've held on to because it's like, well, this is a, this is a book that I might not, you know, be able to find this again if I if I want to see it again. And now I can look and say, oh no, I could get this on Kindle. So. Why am I holding on to this book? I'm probably never going to need. And if there's a box of like 50 books and they're all in the same kind of thing, like, I don't think I'm going to ever need to look at these books again, but maybe out of 50 of them, I might want to look at one of them again. I don't know which one. Well, knowing that I could probably find them all some other way digitally, probably faster than I could actually go and find it if I did keep it in a box somewhere. Right. Um, it makes it a little bit easier. And it's the same with uh, movies and music and all that. It's not true everywhere. There are still movies and music and books that are difficult to find. But if you could find them now digitally on a streaming service or somewhere online, then that means almost certainly it's going to always be available somewhere. Now, there may be licensing things, you know, Netflix takes off shows and suddenly it's nowhere to be found. But it's it's not the kind of thing where, oh, that's lost forever. You know, that's right. like I had that episode of Doctor Who that nobody had from 1965 and I threw it away and now no copies exist in the world. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, they, th these, the, you know, that's not an issue anymore. And I get rid of lots of things knowing that, okay, I got rid of a bunch of DVDs. And if for some reason I wanted to see that movie again in 10 years, you know what? I could, it'll probably cost me $4, <laughs> yeah. but that $4 is a lot better than keeping that entire bookcase full of Actually, DVDs around. You pay more either in mental energy or in real money to actually store that book yes. for the decade or two that you, uh, for which you might end up needing it. Well, it's that funny real estate it, you own. Yeah. It, it reminds me that, you know, one of the, one of my background projects here at home is, um, as you know, I'm a, I've been a long time amateur photographer. I mean, literally since I was a teenager and back in the day, I took lots of black and white and then slides and all that kind of stuff. We have like thousands of slides in my basement. And mm -hmm. while I have a projector, I'd be shocked if it worked. And I'm not going to go through the hassle of setting up a projector just to look at these things. But what I've been doing is very slowly, very carefully scanning them all. Mm -hmm. I don't have a high-speed scanner, which is why it's so slow. But uh, it's one of those projects that, you know, if I ever want to actually see what's on these slides again, I should do this. And once I've done this, 
it exists pretty much forever. Um, right now, the slides that haven't been copied, you know, if something happens to them, they're gone. But the others, as you can imagine, me being who I, who I am, the scanner feeds directly into Dropbox, which then, you know, backs it up in three or four different places and throws it up in the cloud and does all the right things so that there's a really high probability that that's, that slide will never, ever get lost again. Um, and of course, it's like a few seconds to take a look at it. Um, one of the things I wanted to, 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 to come back to the whole licensing and ownership and software topic was to uh, talk a little bit about how this all also relates to a concept called right to repair. Mm, yes. Right to repair is, is actually really, really interesting uh, and occasionally controversial topic. The, the bottom line is that for decades, We've all been used to, you know, you get something, you quote unquote own it. Uh, and I have to put quotes around it just because of the last half hour's worth of conversation. <laughs> but for example, I have a toaster. If it breaks and I and I feel capable and, and I want to fix it, I can fix it. Uh, if, you know, that's the way it's always been. Cars, my first few cars were the kinds of things where if I needed to do maintenance on the cars, I could do the maintenance myself. I could repair them myself. I could do whatever needed to be done that I felt was within my expertise, my, my ability. That's not the case anymore. And it's not even necessarily the limitations of ability. It's now turning into an ownership and legal issue. Uh, the, the great example that I absolutely love is uh, the John Deere tractor. John Deere tractors fall into that, you know, that category of automobiles, right? These were farm equipment and farmers were experts at getting them to work again and fixing them and repairing them and keeping them working for decades. Uh, you know, they were the ultimate do-it-yourself repair folks. And even if they weren't, the communities had, you know, the, the local guy who would come out and fix your tractor or deal with it. As with so many things, including our cars, John Deere has gone high tech. And a lot of what's on their devices, on their tractors, on their farm equipment is now uh, computer driven. So when somebody wants to fix something, do they have access to the parts? Not necessarily. If they have access to the parts, are they able to quote unquote fix the software? Well, no, you're not allowed to do that. That's quote unquote illegal because it's not covered by not your ownership of the tractor, but your licensing of the tractor, right? You don't necessarily own it, you have a license to use it. You don't have a license or that license does not include any right to go in and fiddle with the software or fix the electronics or anything like that. And as it turns out, there's this whole uh, black market, if you will, for people that have reverse engineered the software in some of these tractors, some of, these, some of this equipment, and who are providing their own ROMs, if you will. It's kind of like rooting your Android phone, right? It's it's kind of like you know, just getting full access to the hardware and then replacing the software with your own version. Um, and it's, again, like I said, very controversial, mostly because 
technically it's not legal, but it's this kind of a thing where should someone who purchases a device have the right to repair what they've purchased? In the past, the answer was a very clear yes, not necessarily because of the laws, but because it was clearly within the realm of a lot of people's abilities to fix something. Now that we've gone digital with so much electronics on board, it's not necessarily true that just anybody can fix something, but it's now restricted so that only the gatekeepers can do so. Apple's a wonderful example of someone who maintains total control over what happens to their hardware after it's sold. Uh, you know, there are authorized repair places that have access to information and equipment that nobody else is allowed to have. Um, so I don't know. I just, it's one of those things that once again, ownership isn't necessarily ownership. It's licensing, it's compliance with a number of rules and regulations and and even responsibilities when it comes down to it. And mm -hmm. right to repair is another one of those cases where there's a lot of there's a lot of discussion happening in a lot of different places, including the courts, just about how much we should be allowed to repair the devices, to crack into the devices that we have ourselves purchased. I don't yep. know. What do you what do you have you run into this uh this topic before? No, I mean, usually people uh, think of it much simpler terms in, in terms of does it violate the warranty? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's what it comes down to. It's like, if I try to do this, does it violate the warranty? Because um, that's a lot of what it gets into. You know, oh, you want to tamper with it? You want to do this with it? Well, you know, you could do that. And the police are not going to show up at your door, but don't try to then go, you know, to Apple or someone and say, oh, can you fix it? It's still under warranty. Right. Of course, if it's not under warranty, you know, then you know, a lot, it's the kind of thing where a lot of people don't know the nuances of what's legal because they never come up. If you have a 10 year old Mac and something's wrong with it and you decide to open it up and tinker with it, you're probably not an intellectual property lawyer thinking through all the repercussions of that you're just doing it. Nobody's going to know, no one's going to care. Right. You know, and all of that. So it doesn't rise to the level of anybody paying attention to it. Um, well, the reason it's come up, of course, in the tractor sphere is it has risen oh, to yes. the level well, of people paying attention, right? Yes, because the problem is that uh, the people that give advice, right, which comes up with Mac stuff too, I guess, but probably not as much. Um, you know, somebody says, oh, I figured out how to repair this tractor and here's how to do it. And now you're telling hundreds of people how to do it and, and all of that. Um, it's, uh, yeah, and, and but you kind of, also touched on another interesting point is that laws are changing about right to repair the certain consumer laws the eu seems to be really involved with what you have rights as the oh you know quote unquote owner of a product <laughs> for repairs and all that and warranties and everything so that's interesting because you could buy something own it in some sense and that ownership could actually change without you doing anything because a law changed yes. or a court decision came down um, so one minute you don't have the right to repair in, in this way. And the next minute you do, you didn't do anything. It's <laughs> just that the law in the area you were in changed. So one of the other side effects of a right to repair movement though, is, uh, I'm not sure how I want to put this, but in a sense, forcing manufacturers to make information and potentially parts available to third parties. Mm. A simple example, right. Is 
great. I've got an old MacBook. It's well out of warranty. I honestly don't care about you know worrying about war breaking the warranty by cracking the thing open. I just want to replace the battery, right? I can't get a battery from Apple, right? They don't make that available. Their solution to this problem is, yep, you know, you need a new MacBook. I don't want a new mm. MacBook. I want a new battery, right? Yeah. Um, that so I, I wonder if the legislation that may or may not come down, if that's going to push things to that level to not just make it legal, but actually force it to be a little bit more pragmatic or practical to be able to repair your own equipment. It's a pendulum. It's, you know, things will swing a little bit one way and then there'll be repercussions because they go too far and then they swing back a little bit and all of that. And it never settles down. It never gets, it never gets things perfectly right because there is no perfect right answer. Um, Things will shift back and forth. So yeah, there's you know, there's a lot to think about, but the good news for this topic is for most people, I think you don't really need to think about it. It's a no. philosophical exercise. It's just good to be aware. It's it's very important to be aware of, especially when you know you're one of those folks that you and I hear from who are complaining about you know wh- what they expect their rights to be when they purchase something. Yeah. Um, you know, they could live a slightly less frustrated life if they understood from the beginning that. Um, you know, it's not necessarily what they think it is. Sure. For the record, um, you're listening to this podcast under the rights <laughs> yeah. with a certain set of rights, right? Yeah. So anyway, exactly. um, let's move on. So yeah. ain't it cool? So I have been watching, my wife and I have been watching a show called Shadow and Bone on Netflix. It is the, the, the I've mentioned a couple of times, a couple of the shows I've mentioned here before have been set in Victorian England. Hmm. The best description I can give you of the world that has been created here, because it's not, you know, our world, um, is akin to Victorian Russia in Mm. the sense that the names and the clothing and the atmosphere feels very much like what you might expect in a late 1800s era uh, Russian environment. It is fantasy. Uh, it is, uh, you know, there is definitely magic involved. There's definitely a very interesting plot line about an aspect of this world that is, uh, you know, affecting everybody's ability to communicate with one another. Um, there's an individual who at first you think is the uh, the protagonist or one of the good guys. Uh, turns out that we just ran into a little bit of a twist that, you know, maybe it ain't quite what you think. Uh, anyway, I'm just, we're just enjoying it. It's another eight episode show on Netflix. It, uh, it's unclear if there's going to be a second season. I'm looking forward to, uh, to coming to the end of it. It's uh, since it's Netflix, it's like, okay, here are all the episodes. Go ahead and binge it if you want to. Yeah. And of course we're binging um, a couple of episodes at a time. So we've got two more to go before the end of this season. Kind of liking it, kind of hoping it actually does a second season. Speaking of, um, I also have to admit to, along with my K-pop earlier, um, a guilty pleasure. And that is that we just finished watching season five of Lucifer. Uh, Lucifer is actually, it's in the, uh, it's a comic book based show I think it's technically set in the DC universe, although there have not been any crossovers, although there could be if they wanted to. Um, but at any rate, it's just, you know, fun stuff um, you know, about literally 
Lucifer, the devil, um, hanging out on earth and, and, and just being a guy, uh, being a, a detective, actually a detective's assistant, um, in, in the show. So it's a lot of fun. And like I said, we just finished up season five, uh, that had been delayed because of the pandemic. And as it turns out, it looks like they've been renewed for season six. So we're hoping that'll come out sometime soon too. Cool. Um, I'm in the middle of a, a new book that's out called Project Hail Mary, and it's by Andy Weir, who, of course, wrote The Martian. Um, and this is another book uh, you know, has some similarities to The Martian. It's much more science fiction. You know, it's, it's a bigger science fiction story than The Martian was mm-hmm. um, involving some interstellar travel and and things like that and some world-changing events and things. Um, but it does have that typical Andy Weir character of a, you know, in this case, it's a science teacher. And every time he needs to work something out, you hear all of it from the first person perspective, including, you know, f- physics formulas and how can I calculate the size of this based on the arc and the mm-hmm. distance. And, mm-hmm. you know, so you get all this, this cool little geeky science stuff thrown in it's not just you know oh the computer told me that you know this was the answer to this he sometimes he needs to work it out by writing with a pen on his arm <laughs> you know and, <laughs> and all of that so I'm, the, I'm in the middle of the book but it is excellent so far and it has excellent reviews so i'm sure the rest of the book is great too so i thought i'd i'd uh mention that very cool very yep. cool um on the self-promotion side i just and i do mean just finished updating my um, internet safety book. It's one that I've had around for years. It's up to its fifth edition now. It's the Ask Leo Guide to Staying Safe on the Internet. Um, It just got updated. Uh, Everybody that purchased a copy of the extended edition um, now has version five in their account at askleo.com if they log into their own account. The way I do things is if you purchase version one, then when version two comes out, you've got it. When version three comes out, you've got it, that kind of thing. So everybody that's got the old versions of this book, if they've paid for it, they actually now have version five. And then there's also a free version of this one that I that's a, you know, a subset. Uh, I think it's like a little less than half of the extended version um, that covers you know some of the important topics, but it's intended to be the kind of a book that not only am I giving it to whoever wants it, but it's a kind of a book that you can then turn around and give to somebody else who you think might need it. So that's available as well. Links for both of these, both to the Ask Leo store to get the um, the extended edition and um, a link to the page that has the free download for the free edition are there. I do want to say also that uh, the extended edition, the reason it literally just <laughs> became available is that uh, that one I make available not only as a downloadable PDF, but it's available in the Kindle store uh, and it's available in uh, Amazon as a print book. So you can uh, you can basically bypass the whole discussion about whether or not you want a Kindle book or a paper book and you can go ahead and get the paper book and you'll always have that copy sitting in your on your shelf. Excellent. Uh, one of my videos from the past week is how to pick an external display for your Mac. It's a common question uh, because you know, Mac minis, of course, come without a display, but many people get MacBooks and want to hook an external display up to them mm-hmm. when they're at their desk. And all too often, I hear people making bad decisions when getting <laughs> screens. Well, part of it is because you can get a, you know, there's one 27-inch screen and another 27-inch screen, and one's half the price of the other one. So why wouldn't I get the one that's half the price? They're even the same brand. 
you know. And of course, the reason is is because one is UHD, it's ultra high definition, right, right, also right. known as Retina. And you should definitely go with the Retina one. That's what's in all MacBooks. It's what's in all iMacs. Right. So if you want the Mac experience, spend a little bit extra and get the Retina display. So I I lay that all out in this uh, in this video. I'll throw a quick plug into your video on the uh, the new iPad. As well, I've watched that the other day, and I thought that was kind of interesting. And oh, that y'all, my your, my Patreon uh, was that a Patreon one? Yeah, it's a okay, Patreon cool. video. Yeah, yep, yep. That was that was an interesting one. Um, I like the concept of potentially using it as a second display on your desktop, and uh, I may end up actually doing something. Similar yeah, it's here. not. It's it's actually I've been doing that for the last twenty four hours, and it's not working out for two reasons. One is the uh, it's small. Right, it's a it's a great display to hold, like in front of you, like it's, at arms. It's a big like, iPad with a small display. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so it's not when I put it actually on my desk further away from me. Right, it's like too small to read a lot of text comfortably. The other reason is because iPads are single user devices. I didn't even think of this. There there's only one user on an iPad right now. There's no multi user situation. Mm-hmm. And Sidecar works if you're the same user on your Mac as you are on the iPad. I switch users throughout the day, like when I do a tutorial. So I switched users and I'm like, why is my iPad not working as a display anymore? And it's, I can't even see it. And I realized, oh, of course, because the user account, the Apple ID on the iPad matches my main account. It doesn't know anything about this demo account that I do my videos on. So I can't use it when I switch accounts, which is like, oh, okay. That won't work. <laughs> <laughs> I was also hmm. going to mention that um, I also have a uh, um, a tablet, a Galaxy Tab, yeah, sitting up in my bedroom. And I agree with you that holding it can be kind of awkward if to do any long term reading. Yeah, kind of like you kind of have to have hands on it or both hands or whatever. My solution, and it won't work for your iPad, but my solution was one of those um, rings you can stick on the back. They're actually designed for phones. Mm. So that you can just, you know, basically hold your phone with one hand and not feel like it's going to fall off. Works great on a tablet as well uh, for Mm. holding the tablet in just one hand. So anyway, that pretty much is going to wrap it up for this week, I think. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh135. If you've got a comment or a question, you know to hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast, or you can always leave a comment in that show notes page. As always, thanks for listening, and we will see you again next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.